are listening to Bicycle Retail Radio, brought to you by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. The MBDA would like to offer a sincere note of thanks to Associate Member Bike Exchange for their continued support of the NBDA and retailers at large. BikeExchange.com is the world's leading bicycle marketplace. Across eight countries, Bike Exchange prides itself as being the one-stop destination to buy, sell, and find everything bike. Since 2007, Bike Exchange has fueled the passion to ride by making it easy to buy and sell online. They connect with consumers everywhere to find, research, and buy all their related cycling needs through their marketplace. They also support and connect hundreds of retail bike stores and brands throughout the world. Bike Exchange is committed to helping people find the right cycling product in a single location and is considered the online destination for all things bicycles. Connecting your retail location to Bike Exchange is free and you pay a commission only on what you sell. Join Bike Exchange today and you'll receive a free one-year membership to the Professional Bike Mechanics Association and a free copy of the NBDA Cost of Doing Business Report. This membership and research has a combined value of $750, and it is being provided free of charge to bike retailers that join Bike Exchange today. Learn more at bikeexchange.com. Welcome to another episode of Bicycle Retail Radio produced by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. This is MEDA President Heather Mason. Specialty bicycle retailers are the heart of the cycling industry, and since 1946, the NBDA has existed to strengthen these businesses through education, research, communication, and advocacy. Oh man, we are excited to jump in today's podcast. I am so thankful to welcome back second time podcast guest, Joe Coppola. Joe is the owner of Velo Concepts Bicycle Lab and Studio located in Culpeper, Virginia. He's a personal friend of mine. We've been chatting now for an hour before we even started the podcast. There's just so much to dive into with him. He started the shop in 2014, and he is a retailer that strives to be different from all others. Rather than take a one-size-fits-most approach, Velo Concepts focuses on helping the rider select a bicycle that fits the unique needs, size, riding style, and aspirations of the cyclist. The store features a state-of-the-art fitting lab, which coupled with over 30 years of experience performing fits, ensures that every rider gets professional level fits using the latest technology. They even have an in-house cycling sport orthotics lab. And that's what we're gonna get into. The conversation today is a dive deep into how Joe has expanded his bike shop's offering and how other retailers can as well. Joe is fanatical about all the details, and he's really eager to take everyone's cycling journey to the next level, including his business. He is a good friend, as I said, and I'm really looking forward to this. A Bicycle Retailer Excellence Award-winning gold-level shop. Joe, thank you for coming back on the show. Thanks, Heather. Thanks so much for having me again. I'm really excited to do this. I had so much fun the first time, so this is going to be really cool. So much positive feedback out of that conversation. And for our listeners, I'm going to go ahead and link to the last episode in the show notes. But Joe, what you're doing is different. It's unique. And I really want to dive into it. I think there's lots that retailers can learn from you that we didn't even get into the first time. So yeah, yeah, no, first time we spoke a lot more about the fit first methodology and just being a fit focused bike shop. But you know, there's a lot more that I've done with my shop, like the cafe that you talked about, the insoles, the orthotics, that piece of it. You know, when I started the shop, I knew we needed to be more than a bike shop serving just our local community because I'm not in a major city center. I'm an hour from DC, an hour from Charlottesville. And I really wanted to create a community center around cycling that didn't just appeal to cyclists. And you've done that. I mean, prior to us, getting live on the air right now, we were talking about your Bicycle Retailer Excellence Award application and about the work you've even done just promoting cycling in your community, just outside of the shop. You have a dedicated website for that, correct? Yes, we do. CulpeperCycling.com. So it's a website that I started actually before the shop came along, before I started the shop, because it was really a way to share and drive people to Culpeper as a cycling destination. I actually worked very closely with the Department of Tourism in the very beginning. And I was saying, hey, you know, rather than you all going out there and saying, hey, let's promote Culpepper, come to Culpepper, visit Culpepper, we've got a wonderful downtown. 
you're just one billboard in the desert. You're advertising your town amongst hundreds and thousands of towns in the state of Virginia and the surrounding area. Why not get to a subset of that market and advertise yourself to a specific market like cyclists? You know, that's a much, much cheaper and easier way to make your message heard because you're fighting a lot smaller market. There's how many cycling hotspots are there that actually advertise themselves as a cycling hotspot out there? There's not a whole lot, you know? So that's why I went to the Department of Tourism and coming out of that conversation, I built CulpeperCycling.com, which was a resource for people that were looking to come in. We had, you know, the very beginning, we had advertisers like local hotels, we had local restaurants, all people that could, you know, advertise on the site very inexpensively because just really wanted to keep the site up and then put ride maps out there and that kind of stuff. And from there, it grew into the local community calendar, and that's kind of ebbed and flowed over the years. You know, I think that that's the hallmark of if you're not in a major city, you've got to be your own bandwagon, so to speak, when it comes to promoting cycling and how do you do it, not necessarily just through your shop website, but through something else that's unrelated. That site that I built, we had advertisers and we promoted other shops activities that were in the surrounding areas, even after my shop opened up, I wanted it to be the clearinghouse for all cycling information. It didn't need to be just my bike shop. I wanted it to be the voice of all the bike shops in the area. Just truly growing the sport for what it is. You hit on so many things for me. We're recording this July 5th, just post the July 4th holiday weekend. And I spent the weekend visiting with a couple of retailers and having some phone conversations. And it's tough out there right now, Joe. It's hard with suppliers, you know, changing the way that they're focusing, how they sell into market. And then also a lot of retailers are reporting sales have dipped down. And even some retailers are hosting sales at their store to clear out merchandise, which is scary, right? So we're not reaching people by just posting on social media anymore. We truly have to do something different. And it is making a distinct brand culture identity and growing cycling in your community and really touching people on their cycling journey. And I feel like that's what you're doing, Joe, because you're not just doing the fit, but you're also making sure that they're able and comfortable to keep riding. You're giving them route suggestions. You're hosting group rides. You've got coffee at the shop. You're creating a place for them to feel like they belong to something. And I want, I want to get into all those things that you're doing. I hope that's what I'm doing. That's <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's funny. Like, you know, the one nice thing about being a smaller shop, you know, a lower volume shop is that Every customer that walks through that door interacts with me. You know, at the end of the day, they always talk to me at some point throughout the process, you know, and, you know, being a fit center, I'm the face of the business because we are primarily bike fitting. You know, we sell bikes and we do service and we do all those things, but, you know, 90% of our customers are either local or they've come through the fit world and we've taken on the service of their bikes and their relationships and all of that kind of thing. And, you know, it's really funny. Like when people walk in the door, I know who they are. I know their kids. I know what their bike they ride. I know the last time we serviced it, you know, those things are near and dear to my heart to know all that. It's getting a little bit harder now, but especially coming out of COVID, I'm seeing faces that I haven't seen in a while, but yeah, I really try to, you know, even new riders when they walk in the door, it's not just do a fit and sell them a bike. It's like, Hey, you know, next Tuesday, what are you doing? Let's go out and let's ride together. Let me show you how to shift the gears. Let me show you how to get out of the saddle. Let me show you how to ride a pace line. You know, all those different kinds of things are really tried to do, you know, and it's really comes back to the beginnings of when I started riding in the eighties. You know, I grew up in New York on Long Island. I started racing because back then it kind of like felt like there weren't weekend warriors. Everybody either was seriously into cycling, they raced bikes and you grew up through this you know, through this community that taught you all of these things that wasn't your bike shop. And that was really what I strive to give back to. Joe, there's, you know, I mean, do you love what you do? I'm just like listening to you and I can see the the fit studio in the background. Like you didn't fall into this, right? Like if I remember right, what were you doing pre-opening a store? Like you're just kind of like just out of like a natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, correct. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've got a day job. So this is kind of like a labor of love kind of thing for me. So I do love it. You know, I told my wife, I said, some people restore cars. I own a bike shop, you know, and it affords me a unique opportunity because I'm not necessarily just looking at it to feed my family. It's, you know, it's really giving back to the community, gives me an outlet. 
you know, when it really grew out of because just of where I was, there wasn't a bike shop that I felt drawn to when I was started riding and I moved to Culpeper 15 years ago. It really grew out of that. I had good relationships with a store called Fresh Bikes in Arlington that's since gone out of business. And, you know, that's how I launched the store was it's almost like a satellite to what they were doing and really was trying to give the local community the right piece of information and for them to really hear and get good service and good products and all those different kinds of things could, you know, fits all those things. So that passion is the hallmark of what I do with this place. I love that. And you are in an area where people will drive to you outside of the city. And, and I know that your area has had a recent transition and a lot of independent bicycle retailers are now brand owned stores. Are you feeling any impact from that? And maybe in a positive way, you know, like, so we coming out of COVID, I like to say, if you can look at it that way, I'm the only local bike shop that survived COVID, you know, between acquisitions, either, you know, one bigger store bought another store, which I see the writing on the wall that there's going to be a corporate takeover there. Another local bike shop closed their local store, they closed this location in Culpeper. So I've seen a lot of, a lot of changes for me because my average customer is outside of the 60 to 90 mile radius. The direct impact to me from local stores doesn't really change too much. However, it's really interesting. It's I have a very good relationship with like the Trek corporate stores around me. I know the managers, they recommend me for bike fits because they don't do them there in-house. They don't have the expertise. So it's not all bad. You know, having corporate stores and corporate takeovers are not necessarily a bad thing because one thing that I do that they can't is provide the diversity of equipment choices and product choices. And I think that's sort of what we as IBDs need to remember that it's not all bad. You know, there's more opportunity out there and we can talk about the other piece places of opportunity that I foresee and that I've been able to embrace with the coffee and all the other ancillary services. That's really the hallmark, I think, of being a creative business owner. Yeah, I've heard that as well, that as retail changes, the landscape changes, and we do have these corporate stores, there is opportunity for retailers to have more specialized offerings like fit studios or e-bike specific stores, or even just have an opportunity to showcase multiple different products to give the consumer some selection. So I like that you point that out just for our listeners who maybe didn't listen to our first episode, an overview of kind of, you know, fit first rider centric veloconcepts.com is the website an overview of, you know, what makes Velo Concepts so unique, Joe, if you would. Sure. So, and this is not something that I coined, you know, the Fit First Bike Shop is really the hallmark of what we are. And really, I like to say we flip the bike buying experience on its head, rather than going out, buying a bike, getting started and riding and going and getting a fit when you're uncomfortable, the saddle's not right. I want to flip it. Let's start with the bike fit. Let's bring the customer into the store. Let's do the bike fit, even if they don't have a bike today, because with the technologies that we've got with fitting bikes, and I use a Guru DRFU, we're actually able to get somebody on a bike. We can do a sizing and we can do a valid fit, you know, using all the technologies that I have at my disposal, the STT systems, 3DMA motion capture system, which is a full body bilateral motion capture system, our Guru DFU, our GBMI's pressure mapping system, all of those pieces tie into a holistic fit. And then we're able to recommend to the customer, hey, these are the bikes that will fit you. These are the stack and reach numbers that you need to be looking for. Whether you buy a bike from me or you buy a bike from Canyon or you buy a bike from the Trek corporate store or you go to Pro's Closet and buy something used, we've got to recognize that at the end of the day, the customer wants a bike. They don't want to be told they have to wait nine months for a bike because there's a supply chain issue. So I'm all about enabling the rider to find the right bike for them if it's something that I can't provide or they don't want to wait for. Now, to my defense, because being a fit first bike shop, the brands and the lines that I've selected all fit varying fit coordinates. So I pretty much usually have something to provide for them that will fit them. It may not be in the right price point though. So there's still that balance. You know, like I just had a rider in the other day that's a fairly big guy. And nobody, none of the brands that I work make something as large. You know, none of the big box brands, Specialized Trek had something that large that he was looking for. So I advised him to a Canyon. That's what fit him. And that's what he bought. And that's what he's going to bring to my shop that we're going to build for him. We're going to outfit for him. So I look at the fit as really the way that you get that tie into that customer. 
Yeah, and I like that you're not shy of the person who might end up at Pro's Closet or whatnot, because you are still providing a service. And if they do purchase the bike, wherever they do, if not from you, they're coming back to you, right? For yes. servicing. And so you're offering fit, you have a full service department, and then you're also parts and accessories, you know, a regular bike shop, right? We're yeah. not talking about a small <laughs> fit studio. How big is no, this? No. Give us a, give a, give yeah, 2,500 square feet. Purpose built the space that we're in now. It's not where I opened up the business, but 2,500 square feet. It was a old Apple warehouse. You know, the place has been broken up to six different storefronts. So I've got the largest corner slot. My wife and I directed the whole build out. We hired all the contractors. We did absolutely everything. And it's purpose built. I mean, it's exactly the vision that I wanted. I wanted a museum meets bike shop kind of experience. So we've got the high gloss polished, you know, epoxy concrete floors everything's white and clean and pristine on the inside. And people walk in the shop, they're like, this is a bike shop? Like the service center, it's super clean. And that's really the hallmark. I want it to be like a surgeon's operating room in some respects. And so much that's what we do. Stores and walk in. I liked how your voice just trailed off. You're like, we did absolutely everything. <laughs> 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 pulled out. So Joe, that's a big location. How many people do you have on staff normally? Like, what's Well, all right. So remember, 2,500 square feet is also shared with the cafe that we own. Okay. okay. So we own and operate a cafe called 18 Grams Coffee Lab. That consumes about maybe like 1,000, 1,200 square feet. It's communal. So it's hard to really draw the lines of where one begins and one ends kind of thing. So between the cafe and the bike shop, we have, depending on the time of the year, between five and six people, not counting my 10-year-old daughter and my wife (laughs) who gets sucked into all of this. But no, but really, I mean, it's five to six people. Actually, we just lost one of my main mechanics. So I'm looking for a new full-time mechanic, actually. So Shout out for anybody that wants to check out Culpepper. We have very competitive pay rates. I'm looking for a full-time mechanic. If you think you got the chops, come give me a call. Sorry, I had to plug that in there. I need a mechanic. Oh, you totally do. Plug it again. <laughs> Joe, it seems like a cool person to work with. Joe, so this is a question mark I'm having right now. Post-COVID, you know, a lot of people had to stop fittings or had to modify the way we were doing fittings. Is it back to full swing now? Are people coming in, scheduling appointments? I mean, did it ever change for you? During- Not- not much. I was not completely risk averse. You know, when COVID first hit, you know, we regrouped, we shut down for a few months. I remember calling up people and canceling fits and all that kind of stuff. But once we kind of knew what it was about and the doctors that I spoke to, I went out and I bought a hospital grade air purifier. I put that in my fit studio. We wore masks. You know, I did all of the math, like the, the air purifier would turn over the air in the space four times an hour, which is what all the recommendations had. And I did fits. The nice thing is it's a one-on-one type of thing. And I did it, I think it was May or June of 2020 that I resumed them. They slowly trickled up. And then once vaccines came out and were readily available, I saw a lot of people. I do as many fits as I would like. You know, I haven't seen much of a slowdown. And every time I feel like the calendar looks a little light, all of a sudden I get more people requesting fits. So it's definitely a word of mouth business though, too. You know, like a lot of my business comes that way. So, so let's dive in. You said you work with multiple brands. How, you know, I I hear retailers, freight's going up, the cost of everything is going up, gas is going up. So, you know, looking at that, navigating your business forward in a time where I would say margins are shrinking and we have to be smart. I want to really talk about the things you're doing, the services you're doing, such as the coffee shops, such as fitting. Many retailers are thinking about resuming fittings right now and how you're really capturing and making that an integral part of your operations. I mean, this is something you've done from the beginning. So you always thought that offering services was important, correct, Joe? It wasn't, yeah. Yeah. Let me talk about the the evolution of the coffee shop and how we got into that. So, you know, it's funny. I was not a voracious coffee drinker. My wife was. I was not into coffee. I was not into that. And as I rediscovered cycling, I started drinking espressos. You know, you get a a little thermogenic effect. Drinking caffeine, it helps you burn more calories. It helps the riding, all that kind of stuff. So when I opened up the store, what I wanted to do was I had a prosumer espresso machine at home. I was really got, I really embraced all the science of it. I mean, brewing a cup of espresso is a shot of espresso is is not a small undertaking. You have to weigh and measure and time absolutely everything to get the perfect shot of espresso. And that was something that I did at home. So when I opened up the store, it's like I went, I bought another espresso machine and I wanted to have that there 
So when somebody walked in the door for a fit or for a service or to buy a bike, it wasn't when they walked in the door, hey, how can I help you? What do you want to buy? It was like, oh, let's sit down and have a cup of coffee. You know, like that's such a ubiquitous phrase. It's like, you know, you want to meet up with somebody they haven't seen in a while. It's like, hey, let's go grab a cup of coffee. So that was always my mentality from a customer experience kind of thing is I wanted to sit down with the person, give them a free cup of coffee and enjoy that conversation while we got into the biking and, you know, and all that kind of thing. When I lost the lease in my first space and I was looking for a new space and found the place where I am now, it was much larger. I was going from a 700 square feet place to a 2,500 square feet spot. And I was like, okay, this bike shop that I want to own and operate is not going to be able to support the rent for all of this in and of itself, at least not from the business two and a half years into an open business opening, right? So I said, well, maybe what I'll do is I'll subdivide some of the section. We'll put a coffee shop in there. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll sublet it out. I'll have somebody else run it for me and I'll help them with the coffee and they can do food and all the other kinds of things. Because one of the things that I did notice in my original shop is we'd host rides and then we get back from a ride on a Saturday afternoon and everybody would be like, what's for lunch? You know, kind of thing. I'm like, I got to capture this. Anyway, so long story short, after trying to work with somebody, I realized I'm too much of a control freak. There's no possible way I can let somebody run the most customer facing part of my business. And that's the cafe. And what I basically said is, okay, well, I've got to take this on myself. The one problem was, is having a day job and this not being my only thing, I needed to be able to find somebody that I could rely on that isn't going to call out sick. Because if somebody calls out sick, only one or two people work in a cafe, I can't just go show up in the door. Or even if I'm running a fit, I can't go to the cafe and make a cup of coffee. So I found a good person and we started and we opened up 18 Grams Coffee Lab as part of it. And I just took everything that I did to the next level. Now we've got a lot of food offerings. That's one of the things that we've had. A, that's another business that I had to pivot during COVID is we didn't do any takeout. So we had to build a whole website for online ordering and curbside pickup and expanding our food menu. Our food menu was very simple pre-COVID. It was all toasts, which is like avocado toasts and banana ricotta toasts and very simple things that we could make very quickly, plus the coffee. Through some of the grants and things that I got during COVID, I was able to expand my kitchen and put a turbo chef in and could expand my food offering. And so now I'm bike shop owner and chef. I mean, I do all my own menu. I do all my own recipe creation. We're fanatical about what we do. We do everything from scratch in our shop. And that carries over. I cannot tell you how people come to Culpepper from out of town, stumble upon us because we're a coffee shop. But they don't realize that it's tied to a bike shop because people don't necessarily go into a town and always looking for a bike shop per se. And they walk in they're like, oh, my God, my husband's a cyclist, just the wife that came in to get a cup of coffee. And then they call their husband and then they come in and then that parlays into a bike fit or something along those lines. So that part of the business is very strategic and more so now coming out of COVID because it just gets a lot more people through my doors than would if we were just a bike shop. Yeah. So you have a distinct seating area inside the store and then yes. outside as well. Yes. Yeah. So if indoor and outdoor seating, the store is sort of like subdivided, like in thirds. So like, you know, like the front third is the cafe where there's a traditional coffee counter, a bunch of chairs, and then some couches and the love seat and that kind of stuff with a magazine rack so people can sit. Oh, there's a window bar so people can come and use their computer there. Then Kind of in and around that, we've got our bike display is not, we don't walk in and you don't see 14 or even 20 or 50 bikes lined up on the floor. We have a, a purpose-built uh, window shadow box that we display four bikes in that's up on the wall. So it's lit and it's glossy white and they're like in a frame, you know, that's their pieces of art that are in there. We have clothing racks and clothing displays. And then we have our wall that's got all the parts and accessories, but because our floor space for retail is relatively small. I keep my product depth really, really shallow. You know, I don't carry five different brands of tires and that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of retailers right now who are wondering, do I keep stocking up on inventory? Do I cut orders back? Do I cut SKUs back? It sounds like you're doing fine, almost flourishing. Your business is wonderful because you're not heavy on back stock of inventory. How do you manage that, Joe? How are you... I I did that because I was cheap. 
I didn't want, I didn't want to go into debt. I wanted to own all my own inventory. You know, I didn't want to have to pull, you know, if you think about the number of SKUs that you have and you think about, okay, well, am I going to carry, you can rattle off 10, 10 tire brands, right? How do I sell to a customer one versus the other versus the other? All you're doing is robbing sales from, you know, from yourself kind of thing. And you have, I'll have to stock a lot more inventory. So if you can keep the brands down and the models down, you're going to lower your overall costs because you don't have to spend, you know, $5,000 in tires. You can spend $2,000 in tires, you know, per order kind of thing. So that's really been my big focus is keeping trim, but also every product earns a place on its wall. You know, it's the best of breed. It's what I think is the best option versus whether it's price, value, performance, what have you. That's where it earns a space on my floor. And it's not all inexpensive stuff. Like I try to be a halo store. You know, we work with, we are a pretty much only ASOS clothing store. We don't carry any other brands of clothing besides ASOS in my store. And, you know, for me, they're the best made shorts, the best winter clothing. Yeah, the price point's a little higher, but I advise a customer and be like, look, I'm not asking you to go out and buy a $300 pair of shorts. But it's much like having a really nice pair of shoes or a nice handbag. We all have that for that special occasion. And that resonates with customers. And that gets them, you know, I always talk about brands as being kind of like an entry-level short. It's like the potato chip short. It's like you can't just have one. If you can get them on one, then they're going to come back for the other stuff. And, you know, also being really knowledgeable about the products that you sell helps you sell deeper into the product line because you really can explain and educate the customer more so than they, anybody can in an online shopping experience. Give your customers a reason to come back to your store. Sell them the NBDA's Ride It Daily Extended Service Plan, the only service plan that pays you your shop rate for extended service and warranty claims. Find out more about rides at nbda.com. Shred the trails, not your muscles, with Arnicare Gel made by Boron, world leader in homeopathic medicines. Unlike most over-the-counter pain relievers and rubs, Arnicare Gel not only relieves muscle pain and stiffness, but it also relieves swelling from injuries and discoloration from bruises. It's an essential in any first aid road kit, whether you're a pro or just a weekend warrior who loves hitting the trails. Cyclists appreciate that Arnicare is unscented, non-greasy, and absorbs right away. It's convenient and easy to use on neck, back, shoulder, and leg muscle pain, stiffness and swelling from injuries, and bruises. The active ingredient in Arnicare is Arnica Montana, a mountain daisy used worldwide for more than 200 years. No need to tough out the pain after your next ride, especially when there's Arnicare. Discover why pro cyclists and others depend on this plant-powered gel for muscle soreness and post-workout recovery. For more information on how to stock the gel and other Arnicare products, call 1-800-BOYRON1. That's 1-800-B-O-I-R-O-N-1. You know, Joe, I feel like this is a perfect opportunity to ask you this question that just came to me. You know, fit first, so you're working with people. So you might have a customer, a rider, who comes into the store convinced that they need, let's say, major brand. Let's just say specialized, a specialized yeah. tarmac. And I'm only choosing that because I know the tarmac model. Yeah. And you might size them and they're not fit. They need a Roubaix or, or whatever, right? Yep. So many retailers right now are considering changing suppliers or making moves, but they're afraid that people are going to come in asking for certain brands. Like let's say someone came in looking for Pearl Azumi shorts, right? How are you able to transition that person to another brand? Any tips or advice for retailers in doing so? Yeah, fit. that's why I'm such a huge proponent of bike fitting as a service in a bike shop. Even if you don't go to the level of detail that that I do with a three-hour fit and you know three-dimensional motion capture, you have to understand that. And I tell this to customers all the time: like you can walk into a brand store and you only have the models that that particular brand carries. And like the difference between a tarmac and a Roubaix from a fit perspective, they're like opposite ends of the spectrum. But there's nothing in the middle. So a brand store is never going to tell them, I'm sorry, we can't sell you a bike because we don't have something that fits you. You know, you're stuck with just the models. And that's where, from my perspective, selecting models that slot into all of those different kinds of things. So the fit really makes it very even because with, for me and the Guru Fit Bike, when I put them on the bike and we run through the fit and the Guru Fit Bike, for those that don't know, is a computer controlled fitting bike. 
you can press a button and it goes it saves the measurements like you know they're riding this you can click a button and in three seconds or a split second it moves the saddle and the handlebars to another position and you can compare and contrast and when i put people through the fit where i get them to where i like them i can click a button and say click and it goes right back to where we started the fit from where their original bike was and they're like oh my god how have i been riding like this and so when you start to show them what their fit needs to be and how comfortable and powerful they can be you don't they don't care about brand anymore they just want to recreate that particular fit and maybe a tarmac doesn't fit them. case in point the other thing that i've had where you get a lot of success is people go out and they buy a bike online and they come into the store and if they come in in the first 30 days it's great because they have, most of these places have a 30-day return policy I can't tell you how many people have returned bikes and bought something else because they're, if they've come in for the fitness that this doesn't fit you. So look, we're in a great industry. Everybody makes a really good bike. You know, I think that's important to remember. We can't argue, you know, is a giant better than a Trek or better than a Cervelo. I would say if the bike fits you, it's going to be the nice bike. You know, you ride a lot of bikes, Heather, you've been in the industry, you've ridden things. The only way to compare bikes is to set them up exactly the same to really know what it is that you're feeling. So when you kind of explain it to customers that way, they kind of can embrace that. You can point to the pros. The pros switch teams and switch bikes, but you know, a lot of these guys that don't have brand contracts do well no matter what bike they're riding. You know. All right. So back to the cafe, because I, I sure. want to go back there a little bit. I know there's several retailers I've spoken to in the last month who are considering adding something like this to their existing business sure. maybe don't have the inventory they used to have maybe they just want to figure out other ways to bring additional revenue into the store any tips or advice like if you were gonna wow how do we even start right joe like that's a well <laughs> it's i don't think the question is as hard as you think it is because it's less about listen most bike shop owners have opened up bike shops because they have some sort of passion for bike industry Whatever you offer in your store as an ancillary product line, coffee, you know, fly fishing, it's got to be something that you equally have the passion for. Mm. When I took on coffee, it wasn't for the fact that I just thought coffee and bikes go well together. It's that I loved coffee. I love the science behind it. I want to own the best coffee shop in the state of Virginia. And that's something that I'm actively pursuing. So you have to have the same passion for the other thing that you bring into your store. You can't just go out and buy a coffee machine and say, oh, we're a coffee shop now. That's not going to work. You've got to do this. And the help is there. With the internet and brands and coffee and beer and all these different kinds of things, you can make that happen and do it well and get the help for it. You don't have to have the expertise. You can hire it. You can learn about it. But you got to do it to the same level of expertise that you do your bike business. Otherwise, when a customer walks in, they're going to know that it's sort of just a, excuse the language, a half-assed job at it kind of thing. Joe, you made a fantastic point there. It doesn't have to be coffee. It doesn't have to be beer. I love that you said fly fishing because there is a shop in New York that just expanded to offer fly fishing. It could be disc golf. It could be right. skis. But having a passion, it's not another thing. It's part. It's like a, just as much passion goes into it and you invest as much energy in. I had created like a little social media video at the very beginning of when we opened and it was us going through the process of making a coffee. We weigh the grounds in the basket. We time the shot. We weigh the output. And then the whole thing was, if we do this for a cup of espresso, imagine what we do for your bike. You know, like it, there's the crossover, the same attention to detail that we do in our coffee is the same thing we do on the bike. And that's where the stuff needs to kind of like work. Now, same point. If you want to do beer or you want to do alcohol or something like that, then you can, but now maybe the passion is the community center that you're driving people. So this is the place where you start and end rides, you know, like, like I love what you guys have done with your campaign, the ride where you are. Campaign. Oh, uh, ride. Yeah, buy, exactly. <laughs> by where you ride. But that same idea would carry over to offering food or coffee or beer or any of those other kinds of things as well. But I think the hallmark of this is that whatever you add and coffee and beer and all that stuff is easy. Just do it with the same passion that you do anything else. You can't just be like, oh, we're going to go out and buy a coffee machine and we're just going to stick it in there. Reach out to the roasters and learn and make a really good cup of coffee. Around your unique brand identity, you know, and, and your culture. And so, Joe, I know you're doing other things. If we go back and look at fitting custom-made insoles, pressure yeah. mapping technology, 
Has this been stuff you've added? Because I want to get into, you know, maybe retailers are doing fitting now, but what about the custom-made insoles? Like that sounds like an awesome opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. So it's funny because the custom-made insoles comes from, because I started, you know, outside of working at bike shops. My other big thing is I was a professional ski instructor. I was a full-time ski instructor for many, many, many years. I managed ski shops. The ski industry very much is all about custom-made insoles and orthotics, you know, inside the boot, that boot sole ski interaction so, so prevalent and getting the proper support underfoot is so important. So when I started doing fitting, it was like, okay, I want to add the same idea of custom insoles that we did during boot fitting. And the little secret is, is almost every pro cyclist that I know all have custom insoles, but you don't see them out there. Number one, you can't see it because it's in their shoe. They aren't necessarily sponsored, so they don't advertise it, you know, kind of thing. So there's a dirty little secret that that's happening very much so in the pro world. For some reason, doesn't translate to the cycling world. I can't tell you how many people come in for fits and I look at what they've got for shoes, which are usually atrocious and triathletes are notoriously the worst out of all of them. Sorry, triathletes. I don't want to offend anybody, but that's the truth. You look at what they have for insoles. They have just the sock liner that comes inside the shoe. That's one of the things that I do as a follow-up fit. See, when I do a fit, it's not just one and done and you're gone. It's a fitting subscription. So the first time you come in, we do the fit. I generally don't work with the lower leg kinematics on the initial fit unless I see something drastically. But then when they come back, that's when I'm going to address cleats and shoes and insoles and cleaning up the lower leg kinematics, making their foot more comfortable in the shoe, maybe changing the cleat placement, those kinds of things I would do generally on a follow-up. That's my next opportunity to sell them this next product. Because if you try to sell them all one of the things the first time, you're talking, you know, 300 bucks for a fit, hundred bucks for a pressure map, hundred dollars for a, you know, a stem, 200 for a saddle, 300 for orthotics. Now you're like, no one's going to walk out the door and spend $1,800 to get everything that they need in one fell swoop. So if you can have other product offerings, when you bring them in the store, you're now improving their game even further by getting them these other types of things. So coming from the ski world, having the tie-in to making insoles and custom crafting, boot fitting as a boot fitter, that's sort of why I gravitated to that. And now that I've got pressure mapping insoles, so I can actually do a pressure map and I can custom craft the custom insole to change the pressure on the forefoot. So if I see that there's a lot of pressure on the outer part of the foot, I can craft the insole to redirect it so it's more balanced over the ball of the foot. And so that's another piece of the technologies that I'm able to leverage to help the customer understand what they're paying for when they get a custom insole. Same thing with a saddle. There's so much there, Joe. So I'm thinking, so you said you're offering a subscription service and what a fantastic idea as the customer, as the rider has their journey, they're getting into cycling more, they can come back and then address their insoles or then address their saddle or, you know, along the way, make small improvements, which we all love to do. You know, we don't want to just be like, okay, I'm ready. We want right. to, I'm getting fitter. I feel this. Now it's time that I can do this. And we can notice little changes. And it makes it even actually more fun, I think, for the rider, right? Absolutely. So many of my best riders are the people that have started out with me, got a fit early on, and then I watched them evolve as a cyclist. And then we're tweaking their fit and we're changing their game. And, you know, we're improving things and making it better and addressing new issues that kind of come up. You know, we jokingly say in the industry, you know, a bike fit is more like a haircut and less like a vasectomy. You know, it's not a, like a one and done kind of thing. You need to go out and, and change things and constantly keep an eye on it. Your body changes, you get injured, something changes, you know. Custom made insoles, that's huge. So you have a certain, do you have a, a certain section in the store that's all yep. set up for this job? Yeah, yeah. So in the back, in the fitting area. So I work with a company called CDOS. They make insoles for everything from the tiredry world. So they have a whole medical grade line all the way up to custom boots and custom insoles, custom boot liners, cycling product, all of that. I have a whole fitting station. So it's a podoscope, which if you've ever seen a podoscope and you go to a podiatrist, it's like this clear glass thing that you stand on and it shows the pressure as you're standing. So you can see, are they pronated? Are they supinated? How big is their arch height? All these different kinds of things from there. We have a set of a heat molding machine that takes the insole and heats it up. And then it has a vacuum silicone pillow that you actually mold 
the foot. So you put the foot on there and then it takes a negative mold of the foot and then you put the heated up insert onto there and then it molds to that particular thing. I go a step further. So that's where Shimano has one. There's a lot of other companies, Specialized has one. But because of you know my background, I actually will post or put material underneath the insole so I can reinforce or change the stiffness of the insole. I can change the size of the heel cup. I can change whether it's got built-in pronation or supination. So all these other pieces are all of what I do as part of my insole business. But that's why my insoles you know, are $300 and not $120 because there's a whole other level of crafting that goes involved to go ahead and make those. I mean, that sounds delightful. <laughs> but I mean, also, Joe, now you have this person, this rider who's with you and you're talking bikes the whole time. And, you know, as you're doing this process, I'm sure the conversations just like evolve. And next thing you know, you're talking about handlebars or wheels or who even knows what, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, what's been funny. It's that even like during COVID, I can't tell you, you know, last year, how many people that I've brought into the shop, we determined the bike doesn't fit. We get them a new frame because your components are so hard to come by. We would just strip the components and then put that on there. So yeah, so it becomes a whole other ancillary part of it. You know, if somebody doesn't buy a bike from me initially, they usually come back and see me for a bike when they are ready for it because we've established that relationship. We've been chatting at the MBDA with Charlotte's Web, which is a CBD company focused on yeah gels and tonics mm-hmm. and tinctures and whatnot, and then also. Boron, which has Arnica-based products for recovery. Do you offer anything in the store for rider recovery or like rollers, massage, KT tape, anything like that? No, it's actually interesting that you bring that up. It's funny. I've actually wanted to do more of like a lifestyle type of thing. So we all, you know, most cyclists shave their legs. So I wanted to actually do like a whole thing of like, you know, because there's a whole world of razors. Like I really want to do something like that. But no, I haven't done anything on the recovery piece of it. But that's mostly because... I mean, to do that, I don't have the expertise yet. I'd have to hire somebody to bring that in to offer it and speak intelligently about it. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, what razor is the best razor? Joe? I don't know. Four blade, five blade. I mean, you could set up a whole thing about that. Well, if you go back to like the traditional, so like I'm a very much traditional, like I use a single edge, like a dual razor, dual head razors, like the traditional, like your dad used to have, where you take the single razor blade out and put it back in. Gosh. Yeah, they're actually way better. If actually, if you start to read up on it, they actually are much better. You shave with a brush because it exfoliates the skin, the whole nine yards. And you actually get a closer shave because it cuts off right at the skin rather than below the skin. The four blades cut below the skin and you can get razor bumps. Friends, Google that. Uh, this is going way off on a tangent. It sounds point. off, but this is the conversations like that people, I mean, you're coming to a bicycle retailer to, to get advice, to get set up correctly. This is the type of conversation that could make, you know, help someone in their cycling journey. So you can't be afraid to have it and be a little bit outlandish and a little bit unique, you know? <laughs> well, the hardest conversation to have is when you get the new rider in there and you tell them they're not supposed to wear underwear with their bike shorts. Right. That is a hard one. <laughs> Lots of things in retail are changing right now. Is there other ways that you're looking at diversifying your offering or the store at this point, Joe, or just fine-tuning what you're doing? Or I think at this point, it's fine-tuning what we're doing, Recogn- realizing the new reality of supply chain and you know consolidation of the bike world, because it's really what's happening. You know, we're starting to see all these big brands. You know, First, it was like Trek, okay, fine. Now you're seeing Specialized. Now Pond's stepping into the game. You know, it's like, I don't know where we're going to be in another few more years. And so my thing is, is really sharpening my pencils, you know, figuring out where I want to be. You know, one decision that I've made because of the production bike shortages and so hard to get bikes unless you're doing so much high volume is I'm doing everything as frame up builds. All the vendors that I work with, I'm buying frame sets only. I've increased my inventory because now I have to stock full group sets. But at the same token, being a fit first bike shop, it makes it a lot easier for me to do the build the right way. I don't have to take a stem off a bike that came on the bike. And with things being so integrated, it wasn't you're taking off a $30 stem. It's like you're taking off a $250 integrated bar and handlebar, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to control every part of the build process. Yes, it results in a more expensive bike. You're not going to find something in the sub $4,000 price point when you do it that way. But you're getting the customer exactly what they want. And you're getting them walking out the door with the best available products they possibly can have. 
I've heard some retailers say it's it's harder to sell a bike right now than it ever has been. And I don't know if that's accurate or I don't know if that's like it was so easy the past year and a half or two years, right? Are you finding that it's taking a little bit more work than normal? I don't want to say normal, but I mean, I feel like the cost of everything is rising and people are being very cautious with their money right now. And Well, I have very patient customers. I'm about to deliver a bike to a customer that has been waiting since September of last year. Ugh. Well, you figure out where we were September of last year. Like we had no dates. Finally, drivetrain products are finally showing up and getting in the store. I will say though, as a retailer, it's been horrible. It's not like, you know, when you order parts, it used to be like, oh, you could place an order and then the derailers, the shifters, everything would show up. You know, I ordered stuff last September. Things are showing up now, but it's not like the whole group set's showing up. You're getting a shifter or a derailleur. I have four left force rival shifters, but I don't have any rights, you know, and I'm having to hold that inventory because I can't charge really the customer for it because I don't have a complete group set. We don't have terms with the companies anymore because you're outside that net 30 or net 60 days. Mm -hmm. And so now we're having to hold a lot more things. It's not like product goes in and goes out and we get paid right away for it. So that's a conscious decision that I've had to make is I'm stocking inventory and I'm just paying for what I can get and waiting for the rest of it to come in. Yeah. And I'm just, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about all the things that are hitting our industry right now. And I feel like we've also had this kind of, and maybe I'm wrong, Joe, correct me, but this like lapse of new product or innovation coming out. Like, I feel like there historically new product comes out and people are talking about it and fired up and it's flashy and it's in the magazines and people, you know, want to upgrade or, but I don't feel like we've really seen that much. I feel like people are holding stuff. I mean, am I wrong? People would kill right now if they could get their hands on a Shimano Dura 12-speed group set. You know, like, so there is some of that, but there's no supply chain. I, I know suspension components are really hard to come by mm-hmm. now too. I think I'm a weird shop to kind of ask that question to just because so much of my business isn't really upgrade. It's mostly brand new because we're doing it from a fit first kind of thing. Right. But to the end, I just think the product is so hard to come by. You know, Envy is, their whole production for this year is sold out. There's not as many places that you can go to get the kind of stuff that you need to. Clothing's coming back. Clothing is, didn't have the same thing where we seem to have recovered on the clothing side. But that's also too, is like, you know, I think the value add sell is the important, is the important part of it. There's other things that aren't so constrained like clothing. You know, there's other things that you can do. There's upgrades you can make to a bike converting somebody to tubeless. You know, there's other ways to kind of do that. Like I offer a waxed chain program. That's been great. So, you know, just even adding to your services, like if anybody's never tried a wax chain, I encourage you to do so. And yes, you can use drip waxes, but a hot wax chain is by far the easiest, most maintainable chain out there. And so we do is somebody can buy a chain and then we have an add-on to strip it and put a hot wax coating on it. And then you sell them a bottle of drip wax to maintain it. And then they come back in, you know, 1500 miles and we strip it and rewax it. And then the chain's done. But that's another value add. That's something that you can very easily do that has very negligible equipment impacts, you know, a few hundred bucks in an ultrasonic cleaner and a crock pot, you know, and some chemicals. And here you can go ahead and do this. And it's an upsell that you can do as part of your regular servicing. Yeah. I didn't even think about that. I want one. Now you sold me, Joe, like just talking about <laughs> it. But how often is it that the rider comes in and they, they know what they know, but we really have to have those conversations. That's like, Hey, have you tried ASUS? Hey, do you know about this? Because otherwise we're just assuming that maybe they do and they don't want it or they're not shopping for that today or whatever, right? So, Or worse, shop owners, I think, are sometimes afraid to explain why something is more expensive and what the value is. Everybody's an Amazon shopper. They want to buy it the lowest possible thing they can. You know, I see it all the time. I work with Matt Wilpers and I do fits, Peloton fits for Matt's team as part of his bike fitting team. So I talk to the Peloton community a lot and they'll all go out on Amazon and buy the $69 pair of bike shorts. And then they'll complain that they're uncomfortable. Like there's a reason there's bike shorts are priced what they are. So I think we have to change the mentality that don't shy away from something being expensive. Just justify it. When I talk about my servicing, I offer the first time I see a bike, we do an annual servicing on it. It's a three hour intensive process. It's expensive. It's twice what anybody else charges for their average tune-up. But when I explain to the customer and they see what they get out of it, they're willing to pay for it because they want to maintain that $4,000 or $5,000 or $10,000 investment. 
Yeah, no, I know. And we talked about your services. I think, do I remember that your service package, like you just have like the whole bike, right? It's yeah. No, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of that's too, because I'm not, because of the kind of shop we are, we don't get a lot of, you know, mom and pop or kids bikes in there that just need a wheel true or whatever, you know, most people are coming in for that once yearly service or that mid season tune up kind of thing. You know, my thing is, is that I want to go over the bike with a fine tooth comb. I can't tell you how many times I get a bike in the shop. That's not mine. We do a, a headset overhaul. We drop the fork. I can't tell you how many times I see, you know, bearings falling apart or rusted out bearings and headsets that have never been serviced for the life of them. And that's also a great upsell opportunity. It's like, look, here's your headset bearings. This is, you need to replace the headset bearings. It's not an upsell. You're doing the customer right. You're saving them their frame from becoming, you know, encrusted with rust and corrosion and sweat and all these other kinds of things. And you're doing the right thing. Just they didn't know that that was going on because it's all hidden. Not a car. You can't just go and not service your hub bearings, you know, for 50,000 miles like you can in a car. These things need to be touched. Joe, you have such an awesome business going on. And I I mean, I can't help but reflect that you said you're hiring for a service manager. It's hard to find good people, right? This is something that I've heard a lot of people, a lot of retailers. It's coupled with the fact that where I am. So like, I don't have, you know, it's like if I'm in DC or New York City and there's, you know, a hundred great mechanics around, you know, and they're just hop from hop to shop. I got to get somebody that wants to, most likely move to Culpepper because otherwise they're going to have an hour long commute. And even though I pay well, it's, you know, they got to kind of embrace, but I will tell you everybody that I've ever bought, there's one friend of mine is a mechanic that moved to Arizona and he came right before he moved to Arizona. And he's like, crap, if I knew Culpepper was such a cool place to live, I would have came out here years ago and worked for you. (laughs) I'm like, Oh, great. Thanks. Now that you're leaving next week, you know, yeah. And then you got to find someone who can get them in tune with your culture and what you're doing there. And it is a process, right? So yeah. my one mechanic that works for me now, you know, we have a, a shared business in DC. So he has his own server shop and then he does service for me as well in my store. He's one of the best mechanics I've come across and he's phenomenal, but that's the kind of person that you need. You need to have him. You can't just be a college kid. I want somebody that wants to be a career mechanic. Like the kind of offering, see, I'm looking for a partner. Like I don't just want somebody to manage the service center. I want someone to help run the shop. I want somebody to become a junior fitter. I want somebody that can take some of the pre-work of a fit that I do off of me. And I just can focus on the fit. So I can focus on growing the business and the social media piece of it and the, you know, the marketing and the website and all those other things, things that I haven't been able to do because I'm just trying to make sure that the bills get paid. Yeah, it's not easy, right? There's so many things you need to do. And do you have a team? Like, do you have an accountant or someone that you meet with? I don't know, let's say scheduled basis to keep you kind of on the right track? No, my wife and I do all the old business stuff. She's the accountant. She's got the financial background. So she takes care of all that because we're not as tight as we probably could be. I think the cafe is the harder part of it because managing your costs there are much more fluid. You know, the bike shop stuff, like, you know, it's, I know what I want to carry for inventory. I know what kind of cash flow I have. I think the bike shop is pretty well maintained. I do need some other avenues though. Like I do need the website better. Like that's my biggest thing is how do I balance my inventory and keep the website, my online store up to date with the inventory that's in my store kind of thing. And there's tools out there to do it, but there's a lot of work to make that happen. I have one more question for you because I feel like you sit in this role that's really working uh, with riders in a really close, authentic way. Do you feel like rider expectation has changed over the past two years? Like what they're expecting from a service is maybe held to a higher regard now or, or the way you interact with them, with people, they almost expect it to be digital and when they want and quick. Are you noticing any changes in rider behavior? I haven't because I'm also trying to elevate their experience. Most people have a lower expectation when they come to me because a lot of bike shops miss the mark. And it goes back to this being afraid to upsell the services that are required. So I think a lot of people don't know what they don't know. You know, we know about the racers The racers are picky about the kinds of things that they want and know what they want kind of thing. But the average customer, so many people say, well, you're the expert. You know, that's what I hear all the time. You know, you even when I'm building a new bike, well, you pick the right tire for me. You're the expert. I trust you. So no, I haven't seen it in that way. That may not be that may not be what everybody's experience is. Yeah, because they're already seeing you as the experts. You've already set that expectation. 
And then as far as the fitting being offered as a subscription or, a, a, you know, are you making their next appointment for them after like a fitting is complete? How do you ensure that they come back to see you? That's my one big thing that I've been working on and automating because it's got to be automated. See, there's, and this is a whole ball of wax. You can't schedule the fit right away because they need a certain amount of mileage in the seat before I really want to see them again because maybe they need to adapt. So sometimes people will reach out too early or some people won't reach out at all, but meanwhile, I need to get the Mac out. And so, you know, one of the things that I've been, kudos to you for a lot of the technologies that you've exposed me to on your podcasts, both the Sent360 and Hub Tiger and these kinds of things, because one of the pieces is trying to automate that touch point with them, but being timely. So for example, you can set up very easily. Somebody does, has a fit today. You could say, send this person an email in six weeks and say, hey, come back in for a follow-up. But the problem with that is you really can't send that automated email because maybe they called you the day before that email went out and they told you everything's great. And now they get the email the next day from you. It looks really out of touch because it's like, well, I just spoke to you. Why are you emailing me again? So you need to have a way to stop that automated email. So I've been working a whole integration workflow that I use Zoho as my CRM system to basically say, hey, are you sure you want this email to go out tomorrow? Or if it sees that a call was logged in the CRM system, it stops it. So there's a lot more automation. So that's where I need to go to the next. That's where I need this other partner mechanic service manager that's full time so that I can focus on that so that I can. It's much easier to work with your existing customers than to gain a new one. And that's where I need to do is do a lot of more remarketing to my existing clientele. Yeah, I don't think Joe sleeps, so we really need to get him some help. Listen, the the worst thing that happened to me is July 4th weekend. I said this weekend I was not working in the shop. I didn't have any fit scheduled. I didn't have any service scheduled. And sure enough, on Saturday night, I came down with a 48-hour stomach bug. So it was like this whole thing. I had planned to do all this busy work at that, like at the house and on the computer. And I lost that. I'm like, oh, this is just great. Oh, so. no. Oh, no. I'm keeping an eye on what you're doing, Joe. I mean, congratulations on your Bicycle Retailer Excellence Award reading Thank you. your application. Really awesome. Can I twist your arm and get you out to Deer Valley or what? I mean, I, you know, I'm, yes, I'm working on that. I'm definitely working on that. Yeah, I'd like to come. I think it'd be cool to rub shoulders with some of the people in the industry and that kind of thing. So. There's so much here. I appreciate you coming back on. I really wanted to give our listeners, you know, as you and I were chatting, what we were going to talk about today, just to dive into some of these expansions that, you know, a, a retailer could offer in their shop. And I love the, the wax chain idea, the custom made insoles, but none of this is easy. And I'm sure there might be some questions that come up, right? So anybody can reach out to me at any time, but I don't want it's people to scare people away. It's not harder than anything else that we do as bike shop owners especially if you want that other revenue stream, don't be afraid of it. But again, like I said, even if you add coffee, you can't just do it. You have to embrace it. You have to get the training. You have to market it. You really have to sell that, whatever that secondary offering is. But at the end of the day, if it's going to increase your bottom line, it's going to increase customer satisfaction, You know, increase your relationship with the customers. That's really where you got to look at all the stuff. It's not, how do I sell more? How do I increase more? And doesn't it feel so good, Joe? Like when you see a customer that, I don't know, you set up like six months, a year ago, and you've watched them, you know, either do a century for the first time, meet their, you know, weight goal or whatever it is, right? Oh. Or crush the KOM. Doesn't it feel good? Oh, it, it feels great. Actually, it's funny that my favorite moment was actually a couple of weeks ago, because one of my good customers who's wearing our shop jersey and went to one of the organized rides. And he said there was a whole bunch of people like, oh, you go to Joe, you know, Joe too. You know, like y'all got my fit there. Like that to me is, means more to me than anything else. When you have a reputation that precedes you, that's really the hallmark of what I want because that's really what I try to give back to my customer. So yeah, absolutely. Seeing customers achieve their goals, seeing people recognize what we do and what we bring to the table as being different and unique. That to me is the best part. Joe, you're pretty cool, man. I'm so thankful to be your friend and uh, to have you on the MBDA corner and on the podcast twice. And it's just exciting to watch. So please see the show notes, check out the previous episode with Joe, take a look at his website and Joey offered up his phone number or what email? Give us your yeah. Email. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Uh, email, best easy way to get a hold of me. And it's uh, Jay Coppola, J-C-O-P-P. 
O-L-A at veloconcepts.com and that's V-E-L-O-C-O-N-C-E-P-T-S.com. And I'm going to challenge everyone one step further. If you know someone who would be in a great additional ad, a mechanic, Joe is hiring. So we'll <laughs> cast that out, give him a little hand and get some experience working in an amazing establishment. And I know for your employees, you treat them like family. I mean, I just saw your Bicycle Retailer Excellence Award application area around employees and it, it really just blew me away. So yeah, we try. We, we try to be a little bit different than like everything else. And that's goes for the cafe side of too. Yeah. But if anybody wants to be a barista, we're hiring for baristas too. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Joe, thank you so much. It's no problem. Awesome. Thanks, Heather. It was great chatting with you and uh, we'll see you soon. All right. For our listeners, thank you for listening to Bicycle Retail Radio. This podcast is designed specifically for the bicycle industry. If it's your first episode, I urge you to take time, listen to the past episodes. The show is made possible through advertisements from our sponsors. The easiest way to support the show is subscribe, share your favorite episode with friends and online. Head over to the MBDA website. There'll be a pop-up. Sign up for our free newsletter. Stay up to date with our complete calendar of events. Special thanks, as always, to MBDA Development Director Rochelle Scouten. She put together the editing and promotional graphics for today's episode. Joe is a rock star. Reach out to him. We appreciate everyone in the industry. This is not easy work, and together we are going to get through it. And with this, we go. Peace. This has been Bicycle Retail Radio by the National Bicycle Dealers Association. For more information on membership and member benefits, join us at nbda.com. Bicycle Retail Radio.